This episode of One Hit Thunder is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. In the 1960s, a group of teenagers formed a band called Question Mark and the Mysterians and indirectly became the godfathers of the punk and garage rock sound with their hypnotic song 96 Tears. This week, we're joined by Johnny Neutrino of the supervillain rock group Johnny Neutrino and the Order of the Crawling Hand, who called in from his secret lair under the Earth's crust to tell us how Question Mark inspired his sound, and we decide if the Mysterians brought the thunder or if their song makes us cry too many tears. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder Alright, so today we're here to talk about Question Mark and the Mysterians 96 Tears, which when I knew we were doing this episode, I was like, what the hell is that song? And then the very second I heard it, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I know this song. That organ riff, which mistakenly a lot of people think it's a Farfisa. It's actually a Continental Vox played by 14-year-old Frank Rodriguez when they recorded this. But uh, I think that is the entire song as far as I'm concerned. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't even none of the vocals of this song even they're so not memorable to me there's nothing i remember about them at all you guys have to remind me of like is there even a melody worth remembering in this song i would very much like to read the lyrics to you to the second verse specifically because i i don't know how much you've gotten into what a character question mark is oh yeah but he claims that the song itself has hidden meanings and was given to him by martians wow wow okay i want to hear about so it i want to hear about there, it. there's also rumors that the song was originally titled 69 tears but that's when when question mark always ends up saying something along the lines of like Oh, well, it depends. You have to interpret it. And when you think about it, there's a very serious meaning. But the second verse is... And when the sun comes up, I'll be on top. You'll be right down there, looking up. And I might wave, come up here. But I don't see you waving now. I'm way down here, wondering how I'm going to get to you. Definitely about 69. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome because, you know, this is 1966. It kind of seems like it kind of seems like way before <laughs> you'd have that kind of stuff in songs. 
I love it. I mean, question marks wild. The story behind this band is wild. Johnny, I don't know if you looked into their history. Do you know anything about their, their history? Why did you choose this song? First of all, did you? Yeah, I, I, I love this song. This song, you know, I, I, I looked through the, the one hit wonders that were available and this was the first choice right out of the gate. This is one of those songs that feels like it's a, just a touchstone song for punk rock. Yeah. Secret underground rock and roll made by outsiders you know it became a hit in such a natural way like it exploded in the area and and grew to national prominence i also think that there's something charming about the fact that it seems like they didn't give a fuck that they had a hit song like at all like i think of um on an episode of of krista makes a podcast chris was interviewing jay from the suicide machines and he was telling a story of recording destruction by definition and like getting this tour of this studio and the whole history of the studio and everything. And Jay was just like, look, can we hurry this up? Cause I like really want to go see the vandals played out in the street. And it's like, I feel like that's like the Q and the Mysterions kind of attitude almost to a certain extent is like, they didn't really ask to be rock stars. They just got tossed into it. And they're like, we're going to take advantage of this for what it's worth. But like, they did not care. No, I mean, I also think, there's such like a belligerent nerd quality to the band (laughs) like they they named their band after an obscure japanese science fiction movie the the whole thing is just like i don't i don't care what anybody else is doing i'm just gonna make this noise and i'm gonna be awesome about it we're from mars screw you you know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so talking about like weird influences uh johnny obviously you are uh, a member of johnny neutrino and the order of the crawling hand is it safe to assume that that question mark combined with obviously your love of comic books and you know weird sci-fi and whatnot contributed to the formation of that band a little bit johnny neutrino and the order of the crawling hand the world's greatest supervillain rock and roll art cult was founded <laughs> to take over the world man <laughs> yeah stuff like question mark and the mysterians and and screaming lord such and bowie you know all of my favorite rock and roll and punk rock even the ramones you know like have, are, are all sort of raised on this culture of rock and roll, comic books, and professional wrestling. And I think it has to do with identity as art. And I think Question Mark and the Mysterians is a great reason to talk, uh, way to talk about this. So he's, he's rocking that lifestyle in 66. He's going, I'm a weirdo. I love comic books. I love, I love monster movies. I understand this culture and it's what I want to, to sing about. It's what I want to create my art as. It's it's that performance aspect. Like, like question mark got added to this band from what I understand beyond the fact that he was just like, it was the drummer's brother, but it said like they were drawn to him because he had such an eccentric performing style and they also called out his great dancing abilities. And like, you do watch the videos of him live and he is all over the fucking stage. You know what I mean? Like, but not in the way of like when you watch like the Stooges, right? Like you watch like old Stooges footage and Iggy Pop is like climbing on scaffolding and stabbing himself and stuff. It's not to that level. Whereas like Johnny Ramone would just hold the microphone and stand perfectly still and sing the songs. He's kind of like got the side grooves going the whole time. His body's almost like a weird rubber band, just like elastically grooving 
around the stage as they're performing. And it's like, they wouldn't, if you told me that this group was a bunch of dudes on LSD just dancing around as they were playing live and not giving a shit what happens to them, I would buy that 110%. Right, and I don't know if that's true, but that's definitely what I want to believe about them. I mean, the story here that, which I've seen online described as a rags to riches story in a lot of different places is pretty inspiring that these kids, like we said, uh, kids of Mexican descent, kids of uh, migrant workers who came up to Michigan to work and form this band. They were managed by this guy, David Torres, who I read about, who actually, it was his idea to call a member X, call a member Y, call a member Z, and then call the guy, by the way, do not call this guy anything but question mark. It is considered an insult to call him anything other than one of the following. Que, quez, or question mark. Do not call him by his, whatever, by his born name. You have to call him question mark. He did legally change it to that, which I think is pretty awesome. <laughs> I love the story and talked about it earlier. This song, 96 Tears, entered the charts at number 112 and steadily rose week after week till it hit number one. And we're talking that year, this was the number two song overall, only behind California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas. And at number two of the year, we're talking it beat out the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. The, the list is crazy. The, the Monkees, the Beach Boys. It, it's just like a crazy list. The Supremes, The you know, it, it's an insane list of iconic artists that question mark in the Mysterians beat out with their very strange punk rock music. You know, this Matt, you told me earlier, you thought this was the birth of punk rock with this band. And the more I read about them, the more I kind of agree. Well, and the term was literally coined in describing the band in a, in a magazine in 1971. They described them as not just regular rock, but punk rock. Obviously, like that became more of a specific sound in like the late 70s. But as far as like the ethos and like the attitude of being a punk, like for sure, you, I mean, Chris, in response to you saying that about me, you also sent me a video of them just straight up nuking their career on American Bandstand by performing the song Girl, but changing the lyrics just slightly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was three singles later with the song Girl, You Captivate Me, but it was just question mark. The band wasn't there. I guess in all these things, American Bandstand, Top of the Pops, all those shows like that the artists are just expected to either go on there and only sing or lip sync, which is, I don't know, it's a real problem for a lot of people. I recently watched Nirvana going on top of the pops and just completely fucking around the whole time, yeah. which is pretty funny. But when question mark went on American bandstand to perform girl, you captivate me. He did. He did the actual recorded version where he says, girl, you masturbate me, which is pretty <laughs> awesome for it being the mid the mid 60s and going on American Bandstand. And that, yeah, their career kind of went downhill after that. But man, way to go out. In a, I mean, just in flames. It's badass. I love it. Chris, you've talked about this on past episodes, and I feel like this is how I think of this song, too. But you talk about stuff that just in your mind always existed. And I feel like this organ riff is something that just 
like it feels like even 1966 is too late for someone to come up with this organ riff. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it feels yeah, they like they just harnessed this out of the sky. Yeah, like it feels like it should have always been around. I, it has been used in, I saw it was used in Pringles commercials. I definitely remember it being used in a lot of things. The thing that I remember, and I don't know if I remember this correctly or falsely, it could be a false memory, but I remember, and Matt, you're the authority on this, but I think I remember these little Muppets that danced. And I know one of the songs they danced to, like you press the button on the back of this like Muppet baby. And one of the songs they danced to is I keep on dancing. You know that song. But I think the other song they danced to was this, (laughs) which is pretty awesome to think that those Muppet babies are dancing to this. And I would love to see those Muppet babies dance to girl. You captivate. (laughs) But Matt, I don't know if you could back me up on that. No, I mean, I can try to find those toys that you're talking about, but the other thing about this song that kind of blew my mind was like the significance of this song and how many people covered it. Like the list of people who've covered it is such a weird variety. The The condensed version of it, just like pulling out the big names to me, was Aretha Franklin, Jimmy Rifkin, Thelma Houston, The Modern Lovers, Primal Scream, and Suicide. And then the song was referenced by name by both The Cramps and X, which... That part doesn't shock me. That totally makes sense that the Cramps and X would be into this song. And really, Suicide doesn't shock me. But the idea of like Aretha Franklin or like Jimmy Ruffin of the like the Motown era being like, yo, this song needs to be covered ASAP. Hey there, One Hit Thunder listeners. Are you ready to take your music to the next level? Well, get ready to rock because this episode is brought to you by DistroKid, the ultimate digital music distribution service for artists like you. With DistroKid, you can easily upload your songs or albums to online stores and streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube Music, reaching fans all around the globe. But that's just the beginning. DistroKid offers a ton of awesome features like HyperFollow, which helps you promote your releases and get pre-saves on your songs all for free. But wait. There's more. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. With the app, you can manage your releases, track your streaming stats, and even withdraw your earnings, all from the palm of your hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. This powerful tool allows you to put the finishing touches on your tracks in minutes, ensuring they sound polished and professional every time. But that's not all. DistroKid has just launched a brand new feature called Instant Share, allowing you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more. With Instant Share, you can keep your music streaming at the highest quality while making the best impression possible. So what are you waiting for? Elevate your music career today with DistroKid and unlock a world of possibilities. Possibilities that I know all about because I've been using DistroKid for years. It's seriously great. If you haven't used it before, you're going to love it. And One Hit Thunder listeners get an exclusive offer, 30% off your first year with DistroKid by signing up at distrokid.com slash VIP slash One Hit Thunder. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash One Hit Thunder. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... 
hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Yeah, I'm going to take this back to the temps, and we're going to make this a real hit. (laughs) That's where this song, I think, after hearing the Cramps reference it, made me think about the significance that this song has to the greater landscape of rock and roll, you know? And I feel like it's one of those songs that's like a Rosetta Stone. I think that it's a bummer that Question Mark was no longer a band by the time the Cramps were around. And then when Question Mark reunited, the Cramps weren't a band anymore. Because those are two bands that I think I could absolutely see being a fucking wild double bill on an October tour. There's a weirdness about this band in this song that does feel very October appropriate including the fact that it was the number one song for Halloween 1966. It, it peaked at number one on October 29th, 1966. <laughs> but like, I think it's that that riff is so poppy, but also like weirdly haunting to a, to a certain level because it's so repetitive and hypnotic. The band also, unfortunately, so they put out their second album under the name, their second and final album, which was called Action, that uh, did in fact contain a cover of Can't Get Enough of You Baby, which was later covered by Smash Mouth, which at first I thought that they had written it. It just feels like a song that they would have possibly written. Yeah, it does. It's And it's the, the organ thing. For sure. <laughs> but then in 1968, their label was shut down for stock manipulation. And that effectively both ended their contract and it kind of took away a large chunk of the band's money as well. I don't think directly led to them breaking up, but I'm sure it definitely indirectly led to them breaking up. We're talking about this song. There's something else I want to say about this 96 Tears song that I don't think should be taken lightly one bit. These dudes wrote this song. They were young as hell to write a number one hit song. This wasn't some... You know, songwriters came in and wrote this. We're talking about a fourteen-year-old wrote that riff, wrote that iconic riff that we all know. Whether you knew the name of the song or the name of the band, everybody knows that. That's a fourteen-year-old, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know this band to their to their credit wrote their own songs. And I know they were getting pressure from the record label to write what was called at the time. I guess this was really popular in the fifties and sixties. Is that if you had a hit song. You were pressured to write a sound alike, basically meaning write another song that sounds almost exactly like that song. And, you know, I, I don't think I think they eventually kind of did, but not at first. They wanted to do things their own way. I think that's pretty badass. One thing I didn't like at all that I read was that in 1968, the band signed to Capitol. But that same year, Jim Morrison was talking shit 
on question mark and the Mysterians and the monkeys because he says he doesn't like bubblegum music like question mark and the Mysterians and the monkeys. Why was this bubblegum music, Jim Morrison? <laughs> and I don't know. I'm not a Doors fan by, by any stretch of the imagination. I think some of the shit is funny and cool. Like I like psychedelic drugs and I think it's cool that he did all kind of wild, crazy, weird shit or whatever. But musically speaking, I mean, I kind of think the Doors are trash. And I, this this question mark song is much better than any Doors song I've ever heard. And the Monkees, and the Monkees, yeah, whatever. Maybe they didn't play their own songs or whatever. But their songs are also way better than any Doors song. So yeah. if, it, if he wants to take a swipe at the Monkees, whatever. But this is so much cooler than any Doors song. And this song, you know, it only had one day or one week at number one. And then it was taken over by the monkeys, but I'm okay with it because Last Train to Clarksville is a fucking great song. It is. I got to give the monkeys credit for whatever. Okay, they didn't write their songs. They were great songs, whoever wrote them, but they were great entertainers. I like their show. They seem cool. <laughs> I think I think later on in their career, they proved that they actually could play. They did, and they also they, they made a movie called Head, a very experimental film for the time. There was no real plot, and it, it failed miserably. It was one of the th- reasons that the monkeys kind of stopped. Yeah, I love it. And I, you know, it's funny, just today, whoever the guest was on Marin today <laughs> wrote a book about the history of music and they get, really got into talking about punk rock, but like that definition of what it is. Yeah. You have that sound definition, the sonic definition of what punk rock is, but really anything can be punk rock in that it is someone doing their own thing that is different from the norm. It's, you know, so this band, I don't know. I, I think that, to to call them the first punk rock band in a way is pretty fitting because uh, they were definitely doing their own thing, I think. I mean, makes sense to me. Just because we're talking about the monkeys and I don't know when we'll get onto the monkeys topic again. Fun fact that I literally just recently learned, you know, the Dell and the Funky Homo Sapiens song, Mr. Dabalias. It's from, that's a monkey's. Yeah, it's a monkey's sample. I found that out literally the other day and was like, what? And then I listened to Zilch, which is just a minute of nonsense that they recorded on one of their songs based on the riff of uh, one of them, uh, Peter Tork, just saying, Mr. Bobolina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. And then they just all started singing different things over top of it. But yeah, down the funky homo sapien fucking sampled it and turned it into one of my favorite rap songs of all time. Once again, Matt, do I, I have to call you out. Are you calling it? Are you calling Dell the funky homo sapien? Dell and the funky homo sapiens? Are you, are you changing one guy into multiple people? But yeah, no, this like Q uh, question. I, I keep calling him Q. That's not the, that is not what I want to refer to him as. <laughs> Qua. You can, you can call him Que or Quez. Que or Quez or question mark. Call him Que. <laughs> it's nice to know that they that question mark is still out there uh, breeding dogs and <laughs> uh, interacting with modern garage rock and punk rock bands, you know? Did you say something about breeding dogs? Yeah, he. I feel like it was in 2006 he had an apartment fire and... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think he lost several dogs that he was breeding because he had become a dog breeder and part-time rock and roller. I think that was his main gig. <laughs> you just threw that dog breeding thing in there. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. That's, that's cool. Okay, and it's funny that you say that because at this very moment, I have in front of me a statement from Susie from Michigan, who is the publicist for Question Mark and the Mysterians. And she does confirm this 
He lost seven purebred Yorkies, his birds, and all his photos, gold records, clothing, everything in that house fire. The house was not insured and has never been completely rebuilt to this day. But she also clarifies very bluntly, no, question mark, never wears a t-shirt on stage. I don't know what this is in response to. It's She is directly referencing Pat in New Mexico. No, question mark, never wears a t-shirt on stage. Even in his oldest photos, you won't see him in a t-shirt. The rest of the band, yes, but question mark, would never wear a t-shirt on stage. (laughs) Just wanted to clear that part up, too. He's a professional. Yeah, anyway, as far as question mark and the Mysterians go, do we think they bring the one-hit thunder, or were they a one-hit blunder? Matt, what do you think? Thunder, baby. Thunder. I think we know. I think we know how Johnny feels about this. <laughs> Hate this song. <laughs> of course, it brings a fucking thunder. Yeah, this is one of those episodes I went into not knowing anything about this band, and I think they're pretty badass. I'm glad I know them now. I think it's cool they have an album called Action. My band also has an album called Action. Never knew. That's pretty cool. I don't know. That that's kind of a, a dumb reason to to uh, like a band, but I I like everything about this band. I like anything that's different and weird. I love that the guy tanked their career by going on American Bandstand and singing about masturbating. I think that's badass. They never had a song in the charts again after that. That was the end. All the radios p- pulled them. All the radio stations pulled them after that, and that was the end of Question Mark and the Mysterians. It was the end of them as far as having any chart success but of course i guess they sometimes still play shows at least question mark does i guess we're saying thunder right before we sign off though there's one last thing that i want to make sure that we let the people know johnny i think you said that there's a show coming up in like two weeks that uh, a suit a, a certain super villain rock band that you may know is uh, making their triumphant return to the stage. Yes, to the United States, actually. We have been performing all over the place, Japan, Europe, the Nightmare Kingdom. But this will be our first time back in the States since last year in Wilmington, Delaware, because there's not going to be a future after Johnny Neutrino and the Order of the Crawling Hand destroy the world this October 29th at the Oddity Bar in Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Atomic Hearts by this week's guest Johnny Neutrino off the Phantom EP by Johnny Neutrino and the Order of the Crawling Hand. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Chris and I can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate and review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.